So the big thing that I've been working on is a project called uh, Kate's GPT. So riding the, the hype train of GPT. Um, so it does generative transformations based off LLMs, which effectively means that it uses um, you know, language processes that language based off classifiers and training params to output something that looks smart, right? And that's kind of what modern AI are, lots of very heavily trained models. But I, I kind of wanted to do something that had a bit of value, right? So I've been an SRE, uh, I run a bunch of SRE teams at JP Morgan and Amex, yep. and I was interested in how can you actually apply some of these SRE practices and help people. For a long time, I'd had a library of Golang analyzers that I'd used to build little CLI tools and detect what problems there were in clusters. And that was kind of interesting. But what I think really was the interesting intersection was taking the output from Kubernetes, saying this status is set to condition XYZ, this thing is the wrong, combining those together into a payload and getting something like OpenAI to scrub it. And that's kind of interesting because then OpenAI says, oh, the solution to fix this problem is one, two, three. So it kind of worked better than I ever imagined. Yeah. And, um, you know, within, I think, about a week, we had like, you know, something like almost 1500 stars now and a bunch of like 25 contributors and it just sort of really took off. So I, I'm excited to say that I've thoroughly planted my flag in like the AI space now as a yeah. movie. <laughs> Welcome to the first episode of the Optimized Auditings podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Volkov. I'm your host, Bartek Potka. Optimize All The Things is the podcast in which we talk about software engineering, performance, technology, careers, soft skills, and really all the things we can optimize in our work and life. Today, we will talk about how AI can help us in our jobs. Tools like uh, ChatGPT and GitHub Copilot are definitely changing the playing field across industries. Uh, to understand this better, in this episode, we are joined by Alex Jones. Among many other things, he is the creator of Kate's GPT, an AI tool for finding issues in your Kubernetes clusters and proposing solutions, all in plain old understandable English. We discuss how Kate's GPT works, how tools like this change our day-to-day -day work, and what the future might hold for AI in the workplace. Wow, that's a lot of things. Um, but first of all, like it's the first time we are recording live in person. Yeah, How yeah. do you feel about that? It's kind of awkward, right? It is, it is. We can distract each other more. <laughs> I can like throw some paper on you or something. <laughs> Definitely, but uh, I think it's better. Yeah? Yeah, we should do it more. Okay, before, before we jump into the main part, let's talk about some news. So what happened lately, Ivan? Yeah, so today we're going to talk about AI a lot. Uh, so why so, not talk more about that? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's on topic. I think it's on topic and yeah. there are so many news about AI. Uh, we know about uh, Microsoft leading the AI race maybe. We know about Google and their BART solution. But uh, guess what? Amazon is joining the party. <laughs> Who uh, would knew? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Amazon recently announced um, their new kind of platform called Bedrock. And with Bedrock, they're trying to really join, join this race uh, and uh, kind of lead the way in AI development. But the interesting part here is that they're not really providing a service, let's say, like ChatGPT or like BART. What they do is they want to integrate this platform into the AWS ecosystem and basically offer companies um, the ability to use 
various different AI tools. So they are collaborating with different startups, with different companies to offer their solutions in AWS. Something similar with how uh, AWS is offering, for example, monitoring solutions by other companies, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, what, hmm. what do you think about that? I mean, so essentially, you know, they're embedding the AI tooling uh -huh. into what, like, for example, cloud monitoring, or I don't uh, know, no, like some no, kind no. of they, they offer it as an AWS tools, yeah. or yeah. So they offer it as an API. Like one example is Stability AI, which right. is the the guys uh, and uh, girls behind uh, Stable Diffusion, huh? right? So the image generation tool. So now you can use their APIs from within the AWS app oh, system. Okay, so they're and kind most of, likely yeah. there is some kind of profit sharing between mm -hmm. Stability AI. Yeah, and they're enabling others. I think that's a good idea because you know instead of uh, reproducing and trying to create their own mm -hmm, thing, mm -hmm. they kind of um, enrich the ecosystem. Yeah. The problem is that usually they eat them at the end, <laughs> and, or like really have a non-competitive kind of agreement, but. It's a good start. It's better than maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. At least there is some 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 good money coming to the initial inventors. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, not definitely. bad. And, and think about uh, not doing their own thing. They actually release some of their own trained models, but uh, I think the majority of the models that they yeah, offer. Yeah, but, right but the fact that you know t tools are enriched with uh -huh. AI, that's kind of a common pattern, right? Yeah. At Google as well and Microsoft. Yep. It's not only a chat. Yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah. more exactly. involved. Exactly. Right? And uh, the, at the same time, um, uh, Amazon announced a couple of more AI-related uh, features. Like the first one is uh, they're offering new instances in AWS that are specialized for yeah. AI training. So yeah. lots of GPU. Hardware. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, but I'm sure that there will be companies that will uh, de definitely benefit from that, uh, be especially because it's huge investment. If you want to, let's say, build your own infra, especially for training AI yeah. models, like, and if you want to experiment with something, maybe it's much uh, you easier. You can do that in cloud. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And the final one is uh, well, maybe more relevant to the day-to-day -day, uh, job of an engineer. Uh, Amazon uh, kind of opened their Code Whisperer um, kind of uh, platform. Whisperer. Exactly. <laughs> so this is uh, maybe like a direct competitor to GitHub Copilot. You yeah. install it in your uh, IDE, and uh, it writes code for you. <laughs> We're yeah. laughing because there's lady cleaning a room yeah. next to us. Well, that's fine. <laughs> good, uh, yeah, it's soundproof. That no, sounds good. Um, I wonder what are the differences between Copilot um, and you know, um, because a Copilot is literally. In IDE, but also you know in the platform, which is used by everyone, mm. I don't think they have this chunk of uh, you know ecosystem taken by by Amazon yet. Yeah. So, so you think the data that GitHub has will allow them to have a better product? I would say accessibility. Okay. Uh, they have like already people using their stuff, and mm -hmm. if you just add on top of that AI, that's much easier to integrate, and you have lots of data as well to, yeah. to, 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 to have a feedback on, on what's, what's changing. So yeah, but, but um, that's, you know, that's kind of obvious choice if Amazon want to kind of compete here, yeah. Yeah, nice. OK, that's let's good. jump to the next one. Yeah, so. You bought a car recently, right? I did, yes. <laughs> and uh, you enjoy it in London. And I just wanted to worry you. <laughs> no, there's a cool, interesting um, hacking way. Um, like, obviously, we know that there is kind of s relatively easy if you have like a really good tech as, mm -hmm. as a hacker to to open your car and drive yep. away yep. because of the keyless. Yep. 
um, logic, but actually there are funny, funny ways of doing it in a different way. So apparently uh, there was this article where um, the person describes that and actually tweets that, hey, my car, somebody like uh, take, took my front bumper, uh -huh. like, open an app and, and put it back. <laughs> and you could see that the clips are kind of broken. Yeah. Like clearly someone was mm. messing things around with my bumper, but they didn't like taken anything and, and used anything and didn't scratch anything. So he was like, who did it? Well, it was probably like vandalism. And the next day the car was gone. Oh, and wow. like stolen, and and he, uh, you know, he had friends who were really like uh, into technology. So, so they found out that uh, most likely the person, the thief, was uh, essentially opening the bumper and attaching itself to attaching some kind of device on onto the the essentially the wires mm -hmm. that that connects the main ECU, the main kind of like let's yeah. say. Uh, brain of the of the car into different accessories um, and you know there is this kind of wire that's coming from this uh, ACU ECU to uh, headlight mm -hmm. so he kind of like attacked or like, like connected to this cable and essentially used some kind of like uh, uh, yeah security you know um, loop where you know you're kind of attacking this can device this can yeah. magistral yeah. can yeah. kind of protocol and it's not you know, sec sec secure, there's no encryption, and essentially it could start the car and drive away, right? Oh, wow. And it was like a kind of long story that this device, actually they found the device or found like a device on the web you can buy, which is homemade, but it's it's so easy. And the problem is like, there's no good solution. Like essentially you would, it, it's similar like this, you have your own cluster, uh -huh. like Kubernetes uh -huh. cluster, and the decision to make every ne internal networking like mutual TLS mm -hmm. or kind of encrypted or non-encrypted. Mm -hmm. So this is a similar case. It's your car and you thought that you could not, you don't need yeah. to encrypt between your, your kind of main mm -hmm. computer to headlight and maybe, you know, uh, door automation or radio, radio or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's time to kind of have the encryption everywhere. Yeah. That's not so simple in the car which are made already and it's too yeah, late. Yeah, yeah. So it's so easy right now to, to really, yeah, like get get an. Uh, so what's the lesson? Car. Just hmm? uh, buy insurance. <laughs> the lesson is to work with uh, car manufacturers. Um, mm. The other lesson is that, for example, I have like additional uh, security device yeah. that kind of cuts the power if you don't okay. touch something. But I'm not sure even if it's that against. <laughs> um, I mean, if it's working, yeah. if it's blocking this. Yeah. I'm, 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 I think it is, but who knows? Uh, yeah, don't touch my car. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, I have also GPS. But anyway, you always are in risk. So yeah. of course, insurance helps the most. <laughs> but I, it's just so interesting that no one need to open your car really, and even like yeah. transmit your key signal, mm. whatever, kill this stuff. It can just, you know, find the cable yeah, literally. Yeah. In in uh, in outside the body of the car, right? So I, I found it really interesting. Yeah. What what do you think? Are you worried about your car now more? Not really. I think <laughs> I think uh, that this this is definitely an interesting interesting uh, way yeah. to do it. But uh, somebody can just uh, smash the window <laughs> just like that. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Uh, but no. I guess okay. The lesson here is to do MTLS everywhere, yeah. <laughs> including your Kubernetes cluster and your Toyota RAV. Whatever. Exactly. Exactly. And um, let's switch gears to another news I found very interesting. So there is this problem of, uh, you know, like kind of contributing back to the open source 
uh, in a in a more monetized fashion, right? Mm -hmm. So of course somebody could just you know also contribute to the code and add more stuff and help fix the bugs. But you know many many there are there are people who want to do that who are willing to spend time. They are passionate about their project, but they they have to earn something to live to have a, have a living. Yeah. Uh, so we don't have this problem of this very popular picture with those, you know, like huge infrastructure systems and then there's a one block that every other system is depending on and it's like some guy in Nebraska or something that was the, the, yeah. the meme, right? So how we, how we do that, like, you know, there, of course, th those people can be hired by other companies. There are, you know, like um, sponsoring kind of opportunities, for example, like you could share, hey, you can sponsor me. But that never works, actually, mm -hmm. like very... Uh, systematically. So there is this uh, news, uh, this, this uh, website called thanks.dev. Mm -hmm. So how it works is that you, as a company or as a business, you want to contribute to, uh, to the project you use. So you put your uh, account, you log to GitHub, mm -hmm. so it sees, for example, the, the code you, you are deploying, yeah. you, are, you are creating, and, and then the, it sees the dependencies, uh -huh. and it actually scans the dependencies, and it distributes equally um, depending how often you use certain dependency uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, to the, uh, and, and you know, it finds out you know how often you use certain dependency, what is the author, uh -huh. and sponsors them uh, on monthly basis automatically. Nice. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's awesome. I think uh, any kind of uh, solution that you try, any kind of any kind of money, yeah, <laughs> put there. No, any any kind of money that goes to people that spend their really free time the to job, help, yeah. yeah, to help. Everybody really. And especially this is data driven, right? Mm. It's not like, oh, I like this project. Oh, I don't like this project. It's yeah. like you're using it. So you like it because you use it, right? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. at least, yeah. But uh, also, again, this kind of comes up with some problems, right? What does uh, equally shared between people mean? Like, so there is algorithms, a mathematical algorithm mm. where it's it really scans, you know, how much you use that. Yeah, Probably yeah, there yeah. are problems, like for example, for different languages, this might work differently. Yeah. For example, if this will be enabled, I will be a billionaire. <laughs> because everybody, or like many, you know, Golang applications using client Golang. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, does it make sense? Or maybe import, but use <laughs> only one thing. But, but, yeah. but it may maybe makes sense to support people that are fully dedicated all of their time on open source, right? Versus somebody that is already making like, I don't know, six Yeah, but that goes beyond checking the dependency. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's, it's <laughs> uh, a difficult problem. There's other thing. There's kind of you can actually boost certain dependency mm -hmm. or exclude certain dependency. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's better than nothing, honestly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I wasn't going to talk about that. I, I kind of forgot about it. But when I saw you put this news in our shared doc, uh -huh. uh, it re reminded me about um, something that I read recently. Uh, GitHub uh, had this program, uh, the GitHub Accelerator, that uh, was recently announced, they announced their first batch. Um, uh -huh. So they take 20 open source projects uh, and they give uh, the maintainers uh, $20,000 uh -huh. for like a several week program, like a 10 week program, uh, in which they kind of, I think there is some kind of knowledge sharing and like some courses and stuff like that, but the idea is to help the, at least that's how I understand it, the to idea is to help. Bootstrap the business. Exactly, exactly, to start some kind of, kind of uh, sustainable uh, business on top of the open source projects so that both the open source projects can thrive, but also the maintainers can make a living. This is good, yeah. yeah. I mean, 20K <laughs> is nothing, honestly, to start business, but uh, the, the education is, yeah. is key and kind yeah. of like this motivate, motivation uh, to do more. So that's, 
yeah, I'm, I, I wonder what, yeah, how to, if that's useful at the end, like if that was working or any, any company mm. kind of got started with that. But yeah, that, that is super, super nice because it's kind of like trying to, 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 to you know, get you less addicted to, to working for free and kind of like being yeah. scared to kind of, yeah, uh, set up something on your own. Yeah, great. Exactly. And finally, before we jump to the main topic, uh, I wanted to quickly mention uh, a new kind of chat GPT tool that uh, uh, I tried out and it was like very impressive. Uh, you know, the, the big problem with uh, chat GPT uh, right now, I think, is, or one of the problems is that um, it doesn't really have the latest data, yeah. right? So it has a cutoff period and they are working on plugins that help with that and so on and so forth. But especially when you're doing some uh, coding work or like some kind of engineering work uh, and you want to know something about the latest version of uh, the tool that you're using or the library that you're using, uh, it's not amazing. But uh, there are these people at Find, P-H-I-N-D, uh, that use GPT-4 but build some kind of infra on top of that to pull all the kind of latest uh, documentation for all the, all the kind of tech uh, and all the libraries yeah. and tools that uh, you want to use. And basically use this data and even give you references when you type a question. So if you type a question about something, it can show you like stack overflow. Yeah, it's kind of like smart like. search. Actually. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I check it. You showed me, and um, yeah, it's pretty epic. Yeah, and and um, it's much more uh, factual. Like mm -hmm. yeah, because it checks things. So uh, yeah, recommend. Right mm. there. Awesome. And with that, let's jump to the main part. Let's go. Okay, let's go to, to the main section. Um, so we have today Alex with us. Um, and, um, you know, I, I know Alex from some time from, from UK, from CNCF conferences. I, I really admire, you know, his experience. So we really would love to, um, yeah, chat about some amazing stuff he's doing in the, in the SRE and Kubernetes and AI uh, domain. So who are you, Alex? Hey, thanks for uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to chat to you both. Um, you know, my name is Alex Jones. I'm an engineering director by day. I work on Kubernetes uh, for Canonical, which is the company that brings you Linux distribution of Ubuntu. Um, Bartek's right. I also know him from the CNCF. You know, we both have worked in various tags and in various um, groups who are interested in things like observability and app delivery and so on. But, uh, you know, I think a large portion of what I do is either going to be split between open source or trying to mentor other people. So yeah, in a nutshell, when I'm not uh, working on Kubernetes, I'm usually building projects around it. Great. And I think you started the the, the project called Open Feature. I did, How yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Open Feature started last year. Um, I, I wrote Flag D, which was an initial uh, sort of a, an initial POC on how you could do sort of a Linux-based feature flagging system. And then I also wrote Open Feature Operator, which then in, used Flag D to allow you to do feature flagging in Kubernetes. And uh, it's going really well. We're in Sandbox, the CNCF, and there are a lot of other smart people who have taken over since, and they're doing some awesome contribution. Um, you know, I think any project is only as good as the contributors you can get to come and help you with it. Oh, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's going really well. And I've actually got a talk next week uh, in Amsterdam talking about how you can use feature flagging inside infrastructure. Um, to do sort of experiments. So that, that should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. 
Definitely, man. Ivan, do you remember um, our infrastructure? I think we had some kind of feature flags we with Protobuf, yeah. dynamically set, and mm. it was like edge technology, you know, like uh, <laughs> no one had this. And we had that in open source. Uh, but it was so, yeah, like not many people were using it or understanding how to use it. Also, it was protobufs. It was so complex. Yeah, yeah but, uh, but also, it was working well. Yeah, I think the, the cool thing about op open feature is uh, it kind of provides an interface that uh, you can use with a lot of other providers. Like, so yeah, you can uh, maybe move between providers or yeah. like you can start with, uh, you know, just using something of your own and then move to something else. But Make, we were kind yeah. of, uh, stick with what we have <laughs> it yeah. was very different. so essentially alex was uh, or like and then the community were yeah starting to make some standards some, mm, some yeah, right some and uh, you know for our sins the most recent language that i brought into it was rust so i just <laughs> yeah i know you're you're which is which was an interesting experience i gotta say like when you go from golang to rust for a sdk building very different set of idioms to apply did you get any experience with rust before that or this was your first rust project it was sort of my first Rust project, um, and that was kind of a good project. You know, an SDK is quite a discrete thing to build, but I found that you couldn't just use the Go SDK as a reference, right? Because the paradigms are so different, like interfaces versus traits, yeah. and you know, it, it's a, it's a very different kind of language. So yeah, I cut my teeth on that, and I learned a lot. Amazing, man. Yeah, admire your. Um patience <laughs> i i kind of gave up at some point i was trying to learn i was like what is this it's too much work um, the thing i think that rust really jars you is the the syntax like i think a yeah. static a, a struct with a static um type has like a back tick in mm -hmm. one of the angle brackets which is like it's so unintuitive right like it's so easy to forget cryptic mm. yeah cryptic exactly yeah. Okay. But let's switch gears to your latest innovation, I would say. Um, so what are you working uh, recently on, Alex? So the big thing that I've been working on is a project called uh, Kate's GPT. So riding the, the hype train of GPT. Um, so it does generative transformations based off LLMs, which effectively means that it uses um, you know, language processes that language based off classifiers and training params to output something that looks smart, right? And that's kind of what modern AI are. Lots of very heavily trained models. But I, I kind of wanted to do something that had a bit of value, right? So I've been an SRE. Uh, I run a bunch of SRE teams at JP Morgan and Amex. Yep. And I was interested in how can you actually apply some of these SRE practices and help people. For a long time, I'd had a library of Golang analyzers that I'd used to build little CLI tools and detect what problems there were in clusters. And that was kind of interesting. But what I think really was the interesting intersection was taking the output from Kubernetes, saying this status is set to condition X, Y, Z, this thing is the wrong, combining those together into a payload and getting something like OpenAI to scrub it. And that's kind of interesting because then OpenAI says, oh, the solution to fix this problem is one, two, three. So it kind of worked better than I ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, within, I think, about a week, we had like, you know, something like almost 1500 stars now and a bunch of like 25 contributors and it just sort of really took off. So I, I'm excited to say that I've thoroughly planted my flag in like the AI space now as a newbie. <laughs> yeah, AI lending. Awesome. Uh, when when did uh, the idea kind of came up? It, was it when uh, ChatGPT announced plugins? Like is plugins the big uh, enabler here or even before that there were some other kind of integrations happening? 
It was, um, you know, their, their API has been around for a while now, but there was a RESTful API that had no Go SDK. Mm -hmm. so there's more recently, about a month or so ago, there's been an SDK in Go. But then the second part of that is that they are, they're building their API at the same time, right? So their API doesn't yet support chat GPT-4. So you might be surprised to hear that actually we're using um, GPT-3.5 Turbo, which is one of their, right. their faster training models. But what I really want to get is DaVinci, which is their super smart but expensive model. So just to give some context to this, I'm a little bit cautious about going all in with OpenAPI, right? Because there's BARD, there's other solutions out there. If you, as, as everyone knows, if you tightly couple too much, it becomes hell later on. So I wanted to be able to have flexibility of setting the AI provider plus the model, because I think that in the future, SREs are going to want to have their own models that their own yeah. companies are going to train, right? Yeah, totally. And maybe, you know, there might be, maybe we'll touch on that but you know there might be a license issue or kind of like those compliance issue and maybe people will have their own models right or you might have a human behind all of this right of course it's interesting <laughs> you it's interesting you mentioned the the licensing issue already we're seeing in the news that you know many of the first wave of llms just vacuum cleaned up books off the internet right and they yeah. didn't all necessarily have permission to do so so there's a huge legal issue around it as well yeah, wow, we, we, we jumped to like um, bigger <laughs> question, but let's maybe stick to, to the tool first because I'm super, you know, curious, um, you know, on, on, on learning more. So so how it works in a, in a basic term. So I am, I have my Kubernetes cluster and I could run, I guess, some pod somewhere that, or like it is a CLI tool that I kind of like point to the cluster and ask questions or? Yeah. So it's um, it's intentionally designed to be unintrusive, right? So it's based off Cobra framework, just the simple yep. CLI framework. And then what happens is it uses the uh, client Go to create the Kubernetes interface, but then I also create a RESTful uh, config because you effectively need two clients, one for the standard primitives, and then the other is the dynamic RESTful client to do the CRD stuff that you can't dynamically load in or don't know what the schema mm -hmm. is. So when you have that client, you know, we started to build a model where you can have a nice little set of interfaced analyzers. And these analyzers effectively get that client dropped in, and then they have a certain resource primitive that they care about. So in the pod example, um, it's, it's not magic, right? We're just looking through and looping through pods, checking statuses on pods, building out effectively two loops. There's a pre-analysis loop and then a secondary analysis loop. And out of that, we build these stru structures that formulate kind of an analysis filter and then that eventually can either be printed out, converted to JSON, or can go through the AI for scrubbing. And then it gets scrubbed through the AI and comes back out into your CLI. Kind of one of the cool features of doing it that way is that you can also apply um, a passing, like masking on sensitive values. So we have a certain set of regex and values that we can set um, on those so that you're not sending sensitive data to the AI. And that was one of those things I think everyone was sort of like, as soon as we did it, like, you, know, <laughs> you need to have something like that in there. Interesting. And then the response? And so know, then the, you yeah. essentially take whatever uh, is returned from your model uh, to the output. In a sense, yes. Um, we're selective. So we don't take all of the output from the model because it can be quite long. You know, And, and also, I think there's, there's a bit of fine tuning um, and there's a bit of a learning curve because different prompts, you know, even though we are sending stuff to the model, we have to prompt it, right? We can't just send an error code from Kate's. It doesn't understand that. You kind of have to surround it in that quotation of, given I am an, an engineer trying to fix my broken cluster in prod, yeah. <laughs> yes. you know? 
And I think in the future, those prompts will change as we learn more about what works with certain AI backends. Yeah, so no, no plugin system actually used, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's just uh, calling the API of uh, yeah. OpenAI. Yeah, just the just the, the completion. Because I thought to myself initially, like if I was using Kubeflow or some other like mm -hmm. on-prem AI backend. So this this cuts to another part of the project um, where we're using Llama. So you know, Llama CPP is a is an implementation of Chat GPT for all, um, which is another one as well, where you can have your own model training. How would you connect that? So it needs to be able to do something over a RESTful API locally. So I couldn't rely too much on the OpenAI implementation specifically. Yeah. So um, I guess you were testing, or you had some feedback from the users. So what would you, uh, were there any surprising, you know, like super kind of intelligent ideas? How to what problem you might have, or what what kind of suggestions um, you could apply to to make things better in your infrastructure? Oh, tons of, uh, well, firstly, from the users, tons of really great feedback. And in fact, half the analyzers now have been user contributed. So HPAs, um, stateful set analyzers, scale target analyzers, ingress analyzers, stuff that actually starts to combine several resources together. Yeah. And that was quite interesting because originally the analyzers looked at one primitive. But now what we'll do is we'll check a uh, check an ingress, see if the service exists, see if the service has endpoints active, you know, so kind of like a few different steps to create a contextual image. So that... That's really been a big step forward. And in terms of the actual program itself, you know, actually getting the, the AI outputs back, there are definitely um, certain types of input you can give that are more successful than others. Mm -hmm. So one of the new features we added was CVE scanning recently. So what right. it does is it has an integrated Helm client to deploy out Trivi, spins mm -hmm. out Trivi that creates vulnerability reports, and then reads back the CVEs from the vulnerability reports and then gives them to OpenAI. And OpenAI can actually order them, right? It says, hey, this is the one that's going to set you on fire. So I think that that's been a bit of an educational point because I think CVEs are quite well-defined known constructs in the security indexes. So, so ChatGPT feels pretty confident about always telling you what to do about those. Wow. Okay. So so I'm surprised because it sounds like there is lots of mechanical, like deterministic logic analyzing beforehand, for example, to grab all the current CVEs that might be related to your pod uh, or image, right? And then you provide that to AI. I thought you simply just, you know, ask AI straight away, hey, this is my pod with this image. I mean, or tell oh, me, no, no, you know, no, no, CVEs no. or, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, or like, even even I have those dependencies. Tell me the CVEs. Like more like using using LLM as a search, which is totally wrong usage. But people have surprisingly good uh, results from that. So this is much more smarter, much more um, efficient, and definitely a more 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 correct. So it's pretty. Sweet. I think the thing about when people use it as a search is you're never going to be on the bleeding edge because it always relies on somebody else having done it and it being searchable, right? If I, divide, if I had completely new pods and completely new images, it yeah. wouldn't give me any data back because it's unknown. The, the second thing is that KHDBT, I told you the name is a marketing gimmick, right? The actual name, it should be called something like, you know, yeah. SRE tool or something. But the thing is, is you can run it without the LLM component, right? You can just run analyze and it will yeah. tell you what's going yeah. on your cluster. This is so what, yeah. This, this is, is always part of my ambition was it didn't have to be completely tied to the AI. This is good. Yeah. And, and what is the... End goal. Well, where do you see this project going in like a year, two years? Uh, so what I would like to do is to build an open source platform that uses Llama or ChatGPT for all as a Kate's stateful set or service with a set of microservices. So you can connect your local 
open source KHGPT to that in mm -hmm. your cluster, and you don't need to use OpenAI. I basically want to democratize it, right? And yep. then I would take that to someone like the CNCF and say, look, it's basically an AI ML modeling system for DevOps, SRE, whoever, cloud engineers. That's kind of where I want to go in the next year or so. So we'll see if I get there. <laughs> awesome. And uh, right now, uh, it's early days. It seems very uh, kind of you are, uh, you have to proactively ask for things like uh, analyze what's happening in my cluster. But are there any ideas around uh, kind of more reactive workflows? Like, for example, maybe combine it with uh, some alerts, like observability generally. Yeah. Hmm. So I've already started work on a cube builder based operator. Uh, the operator will run the reconciliation loop across each, each controller will be linked to a different analyzer, right? So the first step, as you know, with Golang projects, I have to get the package out into its own repo and they need to get the wiring up. But yeah, so an operator is being built. But what's really interesting about that is you could continuously scan pod behaviors and you could link that into alert manager, right? Or you could use uh, like a push on Prometheus or something. And then you could do sort of interesting stuff with your observability system and have this as another signal generator. So it would be one of the first AI-based signal generators in that kind of area. So that's kind of compelling, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, you <laughs> makes me you makes me want to, you know, contribute. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the operator I'll have out by May. And the and you know, I'm I, I put we're putting a we've got an HTTP interface on, yeah. on the CLI already. We're going to put a gRPC-based, like a buff-based interface yep. on it as well, because then you can start building it like Lego. But yeah, I think there's there's going to be a big interest because there's also a way here to sort of do that holy grail of having auto-remediation. Yep. But, you know, it's all about trust. It's all about trust with AI. We trust declarative and imperative logic because we can see them through, but we don't trust AI because we don't know what the hell it's doing. I want to get to the place where we understand a domain-specific model and understand how it's going to react and what it's going to do. Yeah, and in some way, even if it's like 95% correct, um, additional restart would not, for example, like make it too much worse, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, wouldn't it be interesting, right? Like where if the if the operator could work with, say, a scaling, some sort of scaling operator, right? And based off the, the suggestion the operator had, it then goes and reads the Prometheus metrics and says whether or not it understands if its suggestion got it closer or further away. So you're actually training the operator model. Yeah, to verify live, those things. From, yeah, from live data. It's, it's more complex than I thought because honestly, and maybe unless you want to, you know, kind of like keep, uh, keep this tool, um, Topic, but I want to maybe to switch gears to more more general thing. You know, it, it feels like um, the hype around AI is that you you prompt it and then it's essentially ready answers for everything. And and the reality is that it's not so simple at all. And it's actually a lot of software to to even and AI is small portion of of um, why this project is successful, right? Mm. Oh yeah, I, th I think that's right. I think AI was definitely the um the marketing banner, right? But okay. actually it's more, it, is, yeah. it is more SRE tooling. I've always said it's SRE and, and sort of observability tooling as well. Wow, I love it. I love it. Um, should we switch gears to to more general AI topics? Or yeah, do you, before, maybe you want to stick? Yeah, just before we go to more general uh, topics, uh, I, I'm just saying like that's amazing idea. It can save a lot of uh, hours for me, for other... Troubleshooting, uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, there is uh, definitely, I think, some kind of business opportunity here, right? People will be willing to pay for basically an extra SRE that is always on. 
uh, are there any ideas of like monetizing this or nothing at this moment? Of course, I've you know I've not just thought about this naively. I've I've, I've thought of the long term, but the key to monetization would be to have a healthy open source community. You know, right. I look at the model of Prometheus and other projects that have been successful. You know, having community adoption is imperative before you have commercial adoption. I think. If I just was to put this out there as a commercial tool, somebody would make the free version first. <laughs> Everyone would go for the free version, right? Like yeah. you don't you don't make your data dog if you don't have an alternative that people love first. So I think the adopt the interesting thing as well is because AI is a new field, especially in cloud native, I wanted something that people could riff on and play with and understand yeah. and actually get into the code and figure out what they can use it for. Yeah, and I think especially with AI, uh, as you say before, trust builds big part of mm -hmm. uh, people adopting that and being open source means that people can actually see okay are you actually uh sanitizing my data before sending right. it to or not uh, so it's easy easy to sell uh, like that and then you know there's big opportunity to make uh content essentially right so i'm maybe i'm giving good ideas to monetize which is good but generally i'm probably you thought already about that but um you know for example like this analyzing analyzers uh, there might be custom software custom database uh, that you know, in open source, there are community-based um, database of those um, th th this logic, right? But then you could provide something customized and something you know that will stay up to date with with what company need, uh, is needing. So, so all this is pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty powerful and and not against open source community. So it's pretty, pretty. But yeah, the, the point is that the API and the standard and this protocol and specification for those. Or this logic ideally is 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 the same for everybody, so mm -hmm. it's reusable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just to sort of cap that thought, you know, for me the value is you know the commercial value would be in data. It would be having models yeah. that you can't get elsewhere, models that have really specific information about how how to debug Kate's clusters, which are the aggregate of all of our customers. And of course, as you could you could say that's kind of a complex thing to build. It is, but that's kind of the end goal. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pretty sweet. Yeah. We good? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, let's pick whatever you know is more the most interesting um, to us. But you know, maybe I will start. You know, how many AI talks we'll see in KubeCon? What do you think, Alex? <laughs> I think that it's this KubeCon's early. I think next KubeCon. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because That's people. Funny. People haven't had time to feel confident playing around with it and to write those talks, but I think we'll see it this year in NA. That's why I think we'll see the big ones first. Yeah, and and probably we'll see you know talks that maybe were initially proposed as a non-AI, but people people will pull stuff yeah. there because they are actually working on slides right now. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, I just saw um, multiple companies now have like a chat GPT interface yeah. to create um, you know like alerts or whatever it might be, or, or Terraform config, but you know, with with AI. So do you think, you know, this, this, uh, and the fact that you, you know, that you meant, you know, you have AI in parts of the project and that was kind of like uh, triggering a lot of, a lot of attention. Do you think there is overhype of this technology? Like we, we used to have maybe with crypto or a little bit with quantum computing, which is amazing, but long-term, maybe people expected, you know, like some kind of results quicker. Do you think AI is similar or something different? I think that um, it has lasting value, which crypto doesn't, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit like gambling. <laughs> Oops. Um, and, and I think that 
it's not so much that it's not valuable. I think that people are a bit sick of it, right? Hearing the same thing over and over gets anybody a bit sick. I think we haven't even scratched the surface on the real application of it. Yeah. You know, AI-based scheduling, AI-based infrastructure demand, on demand, you know, that kind of stuff will be more and more uh, frequent. I just think that the, 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 the danger zone we're in now is people over-commercializing too early on things like ChatGPT and driving away the user base out of frustration. But I think yep. that it's just scratching the surface, really. This is yeah. This is this is kind of both exciting and and scary because you know I'm scrolling through YouTube and again I'm a little bit you know like ignoring those AI YouTube videos mm -hmm. at this point because it's just everyone wants to put the, this into the attention and grab viewers and clickbait and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's scaring people off. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you you mentioned that. Uh maybe some, some of the biggest value that you can get is from these like super specialized models, right? Not uh, uh, the generic chat GPT, but uh, something that is really focused on the problems that you're trying to solve. But have you played around with some, some of these? Or like, have you tried something uh, around that? Yeah, so I, I, I've used a few services and I'm talking to a few more. So Mosaic ML and there's some other, other open source versions where you can build your own own models. Um, I've started to play with one of the local projects called Llama. Um, mm -hmm. And Llama, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier on, you can run it on your own desktop computer and you can start to do your own training. I think that it's a very scientific process, right? Actually building these models is really hard. It's amazing, isn't it? Someone can just go to chat GPT and say that yeah, they're- It takes so many GPUs, right? The data science side of it is complex. Like, um, deriving the right kind of classifiers for your parameters and then spending the time training is really, it's beyond me as well. But mm -hmm. what's interesting is that the tooling is coming out, right? The tooling is becoming available for developers to be able to start building their own models. And just to your question, domain specific models are imperatively important because like DaVinci, I think, which is the, 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 the best of the best models out there is well over, I think over, over hundred gigs. Like it's pretty big that model mm -hmm. now and it's proprietary as well, right? So you've got no chance of ever getting full access to the model, let alone being able to share it and to build on it in your own organization. Whereas if you train your own domain-specific model for your company, it understands the keywords, right? It understands the personas, the people. So I think that is yeah, that's what we're going to see happen with AI. There's going to be people learning how to make their own models more and more. Honestly, yeah, it sounds like those models were, again, like heavily computed and again like lots of data set lots of scraping around around internet so i'm i i find it super yes really unlikely that i could run it on my laptop because simply i don't have enough data like what i can scrape my all jira tickets is that helpful is that a domain maybe but i think if i need more right i i mean i wouldn't be surprised if in five years time when you have a Kubernetes deployment, you have another argument like an OCI, you can provide an artifact that is the model for that deployment to manage it, right? Nice. I think we're going to that kind of world. Sure, sure. What about generating code? I use it loads. I use Copilot, for example, all the time. It's great. It's convenient. In fact, I'm getting quite good at the comments, like, you know, yeah. not just uh, not just fizz buzz, but like, you know, you know, given this reconciliation loop, we'll check to see if pods are active and boom, 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 boom. It's really useful. But as we've seen with like Samsung, putting proprietary code into these into these kind of uh, chat GPT and open source code that then gets used again, it makes me a bit worried about the legal implications. I don't know what you folks think. Yeah, so what, what happened with Samsung? I, I feel out of the loop. So they, they um, were in the news recently because 
not specifically around Copilot, but with ChatGPT, they were just the developers were putting their, their source code in <laughs> and getting uh -huh. them to like, optimize this code, right? And then uh -huh. it's all that code is sticks forever. It's in then that model. And that's I why thought, I thought it's a local memory, but yeah, I heard about some yeah. leaks. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing, but then you know, even even the, the fact that you know some code, some content was copyrighted, was you know, maybe without license. So it's sketchy, and I think some companies started to talk about banning, you know, mm -hmm. AI in some level or GPT, uh, like I think Italy and and uh, Germany maybe perhaps or something like that. So um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's also kind of sad because maybe it's, it's you know blocking innovation here. Yeah, yeah, but uh, going back to um, your usage of uh, Copilot, yeah, I'm actually super interested because I, I have given like ChatGPT a try. Um, I have spoken with people that are using. Uh, Copilot, and I think there is definitely some kind of learning curve. Like you can't just start using it. You need to learn. I mean, you you should essentially stop writing code and start writing comments. <laughs> yeah, but like the correct comments, right? Yeah, you can't just yeah. write me a program that doesn't error. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's way more to it, right? Like you have to. Sometimes you have to type three letters, tab back, you know, and then delete, then uh -huh. tab, and then it comes up with a bunch of different like grayed out suggestions. It's it's a bit of an art form. Yep. So, so what are your top tips? If I want to be a Copilot power user, what should I do? I think that um, write it when you when you start to com uh, put comment structure in, put it in a predictable way, right? So, um, you know, you put your declarations, and then you would comment like, you know, give, and then I'd use the exact name of the of the field or the variable I'm using. That you know, given I want to manipulate this, or or something like convert to bool, you know, and. Mm -hmm. That convert to bool. Sometimes it won't give you a suggestion in line, and then you go down and put a function in and put convert to, and then it will finish off and complete that. So, I think that you have to kind of be obvious in what you want, yeah. right, and not get frustrated when it just doesn't read your mind, right? It's not, it's not a mind reading device. <laughs> yeah, but it will get better, right? And, yeah. and I think, I think it's public that you know at Google we have some ML tools, maybe, maybe similarly sophisticated i mean it provides me a couple of lines of code right but again it's maybe not accurate but it's it's much more than normal auto completion would and it's pretty epic when it does because oh i can adjust this right mm -hmm. and not write everything but, down but does it help with uh more than just like the function yeah more than function. like if i want something more complex like if i want to think about uh package structure or interaction between different classes or interfaces like or that. tests for you know large package yeah yeah mm. Any experience with something like that or so actually some of the uh gpt was written by ai because the um the tests for at least the service account so it uses a fake kubernetes client a lot of that came out of the boilerplate that copilot generated nice. so i wrote test you know test service account and it you know, it generated quite a bit of that. Of course, as you were saying, like you do have to have to tweak it. Like it's not smart about when you want to change a package name or, and it doesn't. It's not quite file system level yet. Like it can't yeah. tell you how to optimize. And I think that's your point, right? Yeah. No, but it's really pretty sweet already. Um, another use case that um, I really, you know, really liked on the internet, uh, Frederick Branchik, who is, you know, Polar Signal um, CEO. Um, you know, like ex colleague, and you know, um, you know, he commented that it would be amazing to kind of have instrumentation uh, or like any kind of boilerplate generative code to, to be just done. And, and there is this battle of like auto instrumentation, so adding metrics uh, to your code, auto instrumentations that you are not adding, but actually you are using service mesh or eBPF or maybe library to to you know increment some metrics in your code. 
but it's much less context aware and so on mm. um, and problematic uh, in terms of isolation. So, you know, in some way, why not asking AI to just instrument existing code with metric? And and there are good patterns on the on the internet and the open source to do that. So that's pretty viable, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The problem with EBPF is that it intercepts all kernel calls, yeah. right? Like that's super noisy, right? That's and one you... thing. And then kernel versions changes, and it's. Right. You and know, also, you're on a public cloud, right? And you don't always have access to installing eBPF programs on the host OS. Um, yeah, there's a whole slew of things. And I, I like the idea that if I have my like prom auto library in my yeah. middleware, I can just go like boom, boom, and I can just comment it, you know, add metrics for the things I care about. I can I can add counters and gauges and all sorts. And I think, why not if it's if it's a convenience? I mean, the, the, the beautiful future we want to get to is you can use the go generate function to rerun the AI oh, or yeah. regenerate new metrics. Yeah, this is this is this is epic. As, as long as it's kind of accurate, so uh, it, there is not too much work, you know, doing review to catch catch bags. Well, yeah. and, and hopefully, yeah. it then also generates the uh, the service monitors and all the other pieces it needs, right? It, so you've got full chain. integration, full integration. Yeah. Um, so are we going in the direction of maybe replacing some jobs, maybe less engineers, software engineers will be needed in the future? I think that the um, the scope and domain boundaries of software engineering will change, right? It will be less focused on single application code at a time and more about how to use a combined set of tools, right? I think perhaps traditional code writing as we know it will decrease, but what yeah. will increase is this idea of, I've got a moderately complex system, I can use AI as a tool, I can use traditional tooling, but I need to be able to set Things like observability, application behaviors, inter-application um, kind of payloads, and I think that that'll be more what the focus is. I, I don't think platform op, platform engineering is quite the right word. Still, you know, there's there's yeah. a lot of different words flying out. That's that's a different thing. But I think traditional software engineering will will still be around. But I think it's going to take a sort of a click outwards and focus on a, more of a macro level. Yeah, and and it, it, to be honest, you know, like to be to be real, like software engineering is partially about writing code like even you know during our week maybe we have you know really small amount of time doing this so so generally automating a lot some of some of this boilerplate you still have to do a lot of different tasks around that um yeah yeah and usually writing the code is the easy part right figuring out what you need to write is yeah difficult. okay so maybe going further a bit and i haven't seen uh, this concern a lot publicly, but I'm worried that we'll be st more stupid in the future. <laughs> so let me explain. We have, especially like, you know, all this marketing around AI and ChatGPT, you are, you know, asking questions and generating yourself a code uh, from totally new framework, totally new language, you don't need to understand. Maybe your review, maybe it will actually kind of be more and more correct. Uh, so we'll generate different applications. I have this um, hypothesis that, you know, we will be less uh, motivated to do the hard work of understanding computers on the low level, right? Because mm -hmm. we we already hit some high level abstractions here, like you know, using uh, I don't know, pre predefined frameworks and and you know maybe you know DevOps generally that doesn't you know maybe code a lot, but but maybe reuses scam charts. Um, we already are very high level, and and with AI we have less incentive to go into details about how CPU works, how you know low level um, Golang code or Rust code would look like, and you know, 
I have my sister doing, you know, computer science, and she's already using AI to, you know, on exams, you know, and. No, yeah, I have three yeah. sisters. I guess we one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but honestly, you know, it's already hard to motivate yourself to to actually learn, and this is just distraction a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think? I I, th I think that um, we have a finite capacity for learning and retaining that information in our heads, and I think that. With the emergence of cloud native, it's just added another layer on top that you have to think about. I suspect what will happen is that humans will spend more time in higher order thinking, right? So solving problems at a higher level, and we'll use these tools like a conductor at an orchestra to actually make the symphony. We won't be worrying about the woodwinds or the or, or hitting the hit, hitting the drum. We will be conducting multiple things, whether it's a CI-CD platform that merges into an AI ML model that then deploys out using some container runtimes, we will be thinking about the solutionization. And that's kind of what I meant with the future of programming. I think we have more of a macro view. And I suspect what may happen is companies have less engineers, but I think what the engineers do will be of broader scope because they have more ability, right? Think like Minority Report with those screens. You know, Somebody is able to effectively spread themselves through the help and the application of AI to be running a model that's improving the observability whilst they're running another model that's looking at the microservice optimization of a protobuf that's doing something in the CI. You know, like there'll be a lot more of that kind of behavior, I think. But it sounds like in your vision, there is just broad scope. So this kind of um, generalist approach more and more um, for software engineers. And there is less, you know, deeper understanding. But I feel like there is still need for people to innovate on low-level stuff, to do scientific researches, to to really give the innovation and constructive, you know, information for LMs or other models to learn on, right? That's true, but it's coming back to the the the, the kind of diminishing returns problem, right? Yeah. Optimizing on CPU cycles is less productive than doing something at a higher order, right? And use and throwing more throwing more resources at it. So. I think that that will definitely um, be an issue. And when we especially think about these AI being probably within 15 years of passing a Turing test, it's interesting to think that they will probably be the ones innovating on the next generation of, of low-level language. And it will probably end up being a language that is almost unreadable, like Rust, <laughs> to, to humans, right? Yep. So I think... I think that that's, that's the bit that I'm a little bit scared of, is that we eventually get sidestepped and the AI just says, okay, what do you actually want? I will go off and probably the future would be that program languages are bespoke to the problem area. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. It's already, you know, already right, right, it's yeah. hard to understand what, why and how this LLM came to, to some, you know, interesting conclusions, right? So, yeah. But, but you on your point, I'm kind of thinking about this as, uh, Okay, in the past, uh, people had to write assembly for everything, right? Yeah. And then there's high-level languages. So uh, the what AI does now is like bring it to another le level. Like now, nobody writes assembly. Or I don't think nobody. Well, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you know, no. If you know assembly, it's still useful, right? Only if I was like I was touching on assembly yeah. in my book. And that's the yeah. thing, you want to watch TikToks, <laughs> not uh, learn about assembly. That's the problem of the world. <laughs> I think the problem is that, well, it's not even a problem, it's the reality. Yeah. yeah. If you want to make something of value, you probably have to spend like, as a humanity, you have spent like 1% of the time working on assembly and the, the rest is actually solved. Exactly, the problem. yes. So so we, we can, yeah. yeah, we can achieve more essentially.
and just just to sort of um, lend a thought around the people broadening their roles, I think what will also happen is that we see it already with the Linux kernel as a good example, is that people have split into focus areas because there is so much knowledge in the human domain now that becoming an expert on everything will just soon be impossible. So we will have to sort of focus on that a little bit more, whereas you know, learning assembly and then you have a high level language and then you have the, the, the things on top of that will just become harder and harder. So really, I think the concentration area will, will diffuse or become specialized. Yeah, fully agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, anything? Because I have maybe something um, a little bit different. Um, so, you know, we talk about generating code. Um, let's talk about generating communications, right? So. You know, we could generate uh, content for this podcast. We could generate, you know, the titles, the descriptions, and you know, and all all other ideas. People generate books, um, you know, poems, um, songs. Uh, I wonder, yeah, what do you think about that? And and you know, there is this kind of like pattern nowadays that that people like saying, state stating, hey, this is not generated by AI. Don't worry, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think we see future where this will be needed or? Uh, we'll kind of accept that, okay, ma majority of it could be AI, that's fine. Well, I think to the first point, we have to be really clear in understanding what AI really is. It's not the kind of Star Trek or Terminator AI that actually can have original thought. Yeah. That's the thing. Modern AI doesn't have original thought. It's the amalgamation and the aggregate of human knowledge. So when we read a book, it kind of could be read anywhere else, but it might look different, right? So I think it's a convenience for knowledge learning at the moment. And I'm not too worried about that, at least in the immediate. I think once we get AI, can that can actually spark original thought? I mean, that's when you've got Skynet and real problems, right? <laughs> um, because it's starting to make its own conclusions. That that's that's a really interesting world to live in. But, but interesting. You're going on, Sorry, I was just going to say, like, but around the idea of not having to not saying not generated by AI, I actually do think that we may well see that um, in repositories, you you get some sort of clause that is an affirmation to state that the code within that, so that if an LLM scans it. It will have that inside the LLM's code base that it, that it didn't generate it. Interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about books generally, like not every book is like super innovative. Like many many times, people write about the same things different way, uh, about to, to telling that in a in a more direct way to maybe you know like spark different mm -hmm. ideas. Like this, you know, previous po podcast episode, the Phoenix book. It wasn't like novel um, ideas there. The novelty was about how the story was told. Um, right, so exactly. That is not exactly. innovative. I mean, that is some innovation, but AI could construct that by accident, right? <laughs> the chat GPT is a single perspective, right? Human yeah, perspectives yeah. are myriad. So every author of a book has a completely different childhood, different way of viewing the world. Something an AI would struggle to reproduce in its current format at all. Yeah, I think current format would essentially pick statistical probability, yeah, like the, the most typical maybe stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So well, yeah, it's, it's not to mention AI bias. Yep. AI is biased towards the people that trained it. So yep. It, it, there, there, there's, you know, you will be able to tell in the future where a model was probably what material it was trained against, based off of the kind of outcomes that it produces. Yeah, and, and it seems like uh, it becomes increasingly important uh, developing AI in open source, right? Because uh, if we end up with like one big corporation owning, say, all of the training, all of the models, then uh, Answering these questions, especially around bias, around uh, you know explainability, 
it makes all of this harder. But um, if we have all the tools available for us in open source, then as you say, we are democratizing AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. I also think that we need to bear in mind we're we're on the first generation of AI, right? The cusp of this. Yep. What's really going to happen is that we're going to see a gen second generation that actually is training itself. And I think that at that point, the the key is going to be a data race. It's going to be who can consume the most amount of input data and who can provide the highest volume stream of input mm. data is the one that wins that that arms race. Crazy. So. Something practical. I'm generating content. I'm providing, you know, I'm writing myself or sometimes with help of AI, some code in open source or maybe public blog post or podcast. And I might don't, maybe I don't want, uh, you know, AI to, 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 to like learn on that. Can I achieve that? Should I block AI? What do you think? Would it be a tools for that in the future? It'd be interesting because I, I wonder, I don't know personally how they do the web. How, I, don't, I don't know if they use web crawlers. I'm not really sure how it works for web pages with AI, but maybe we'll have like a robots.txt for AI.txt that says like, like Yeah, exactly. On the opposite front, how, let's say I'm using a model and I, I know I will be training or retraining my models. What do you think I can do to um, make sure my code is more friendly for AI? And do you think we should learn how to do that in some at some point as well? That's interesting. I think that there are a few things that are emerging around code that you see often in AI. And I think that lends me to share thoughts around what I think helps produce it. Yeah. The code you tend to see in AI are from large projects on GitHub that are very searchable. So I think searchability is correlated to what makes good code. And searchability is popularity. So when you want to have your code in AI and be more uh, conducive to AI, it needs to be in a project that's fairly high profile because that seems to be part of the directive around what AI scans, right? It's not going to look for a one-star project made by somebody on in the Arctic, right? It's going to look for those super, and because you think about it, you've got limited resources, limited time. Yeah, they're probably, going, they're probably going through GitHub's top thousand projects and and scanning all of those first. Yeah. So so if I made so if we uh, want to boycott AI. We could have Kubernetes project to have like 100,000 files with wrong <laughs> statements, uh, and that will be, yeah. Now that would be interesting because, as I said earlier on with the, uh, the first generation of AI training, I think that there already is an opportunity for the second generation to start to learn from yeah. those kind of things. What produced a chat GPT positive experience versus a negative one? And then it can refer to the data points that it gave back. So it's this incredible iteration cycle. Yeah, and we came back, I think, to to, to your tool and, and learnings from your tool. Uh, you know, like all of this has to integrate with with like deterministic logic and you know like actual search and actual validation of this data. So uh, it cannot just you know work on its own. So so there will be lots of businesses and tools and and kind of like jobs as well to to make that even more possible. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Amazing. I think we have uh, everything from my awesome. side. Yeah, yeah. Maybe final thing. Can you give us um, your predictions? One year, five years, 10 years? It's like one thing that you expect to have one in like short term versus long term. Yeah, OK. What's the more, most excited about? 
So I think short term is the gold rush of AI, right? Yeah. I think in the next year we'll see a hundred thousand different companies spring up with some sort of GPT product. I think in the long term we will see silos where there are large data models that are huge, like like a Microsoft AI model will become <laughs> half of the internet versus something else. And not that I'm looking forward to it, but I think that these things are going to be so sophisticated. They will, you can basically ask them to train you a model overnight for your particular needs and go away and use that. And I wouldn't be surprised if operating systems start to become bespoke for your laptop, where you have generative models that are actually learning your behaviors. So yeah, I think that's kind of my, my short-term, at least middle-term predictions. Yeah, I heard from the NVIDIA, I think, CEO. I think he mentioned that right now the pixel is rendered, and mm -hmm. we will see pixel being generated for you every milliseconds, right? So yeah. I mean, AI in games is going to be incredible. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even touched a scratch the surface on that, just simply because we're using basically two or three large game engines that have no integration. When we start to put AI into like the Unreal Engine, it's going to be immense. Yeah, I think already they are experimenting with that. Just I think I like them because they don't mention AI, you know, like very, like just for marketing purposes, but they they actually show results, right? So there is this new. I forget like what what was the name, but essentially you could uh, capture with the smartphone your mm. face, and it's like super uh, high resolution, you know, mimic and, mm -hmm. and your face in three D and in the game. So it's pretty pretty sweet. Well, the big yeah. thing the big thing with um, is it uh, it's upscaling, isn't it? The big the big technology is DLSS two yep. yep. Nvidia. So actually doing super scaling, like imagine imagine they're using AI in that already. Like imagine using something even more advanced where you could do incredible four K upscaling on a really modest card, right? That would be amazing. Yeah, you need like you you can have much less you know like frames and then you generate everything in between. Yeah, crazy. Okay, thank you, Alex, so much for your time. I know we are we are super busy because KubeCon is coming, and I'm I'm super excited to see you there. Yeah. Um, and um, and yeah, this is this is like just scratching um, AI surface, and I learned a lot. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we're going to put uh, links to uh, all of your projects uh, in the show notes. So if people are interested, uh, please check it out. Yeah. Thank you. It was a very insightful talk. Uh, I think we learned a lot. There were a lot of discussions about uh, you know the, the future. What, what are your takeaways, Bartek? What, what is the one thing that you know, you're going to take away from this talk? Totally. Yeah. I. I think the most important or like the most kind of insightful thing is it gave me trust that people know what they are doing sometimes. <laughs> so I was, you know, I hear about this AI and usually it's a kind of like, you know, catastrophic and lots of controversy and it's just more to, to, to get attention and, and, and just use LLM and, and to solve any project randomly without mm -hmm. even checking mm -hmm. if it's useful. And, you know, here is not like that, like this group, uh, KDS, GPT-AI, AI. it's much more sophisticated. It actually, actually has a lot of deterministic tools and verifications, and it's like a you know, normal project, nothing, no magic. Yep. And the AI is used only for things that, that are, you know, like maybe um, something that converts things to the language model, mm -hmm, to, to mm -hmm. your human, our human language, or, um, or just to anal, you know, anonymize stuff. So, so it kind of like used in the pieces where it's safe to use, mm -hmm. but it's not overused just for the sake of using it and then selling, right? Yeah, so yeah. I love it. And and that kind of brings me, brings some yeah, trust and, 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 <laughs> and excitement that, you know, we're not doomed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I definitely feel your point. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. What, what um, my biggest takeaway, I think, is that uh, really the specific data becomes more and more important, especially if you're working in some kind of niche. And let's say managing Kubernetes yeah. clusters is kind of a niche, right? And yeah. it involves a lot of uh, kind of specific knowledge and. Uh, uh, maybe there are a lot of things that are not even on Stack Overflow, right? Yeah. Or on, you can't really find them on Google. You need to get into the source code of Kubernetes, and uh, you, you need or to really find the right people. Really, exactly, exactly. And if a tool like that can, you know, generate a lot of data or like learn from the mistakes of others, it can be super powerful. And it, this doesn't go only to Kubernetes, right? It goes with everything. So. I agree, and and it, it comes. I think it's similar to, to anything else, is that whatever is generic is for nothing, and yep. whatever is specialized is, is really like much better, but mm -hmm. of course not for everything. Yep. It's like you're buying a bike and or bicycle, and you want this bicycle to be road, and also forest, and also <laughs> beach, and also, and you know, and that such, such bicycles will yeah. not exist, or you have something in the middle which is really bad for all of those things, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, this is similar to to anything else, including AI. So so yeah, that's why we hear we see specific you know specialized about specialized models, but also I really I really feel it's exactly the same for the, for the software. Mm. Like if you have two generic software that have all the features, and I will not name the projects I have in mind right <laughs> now, but uh, it's it's just hard. It's just yep. really Im almost impossible to satisfy all the different edge cases, and you you end up with with uh, yeah. something unuseful. But I think the big winner in the AI race will be the company that Has builds the, the frame the frame for the bike. If you're able to build a frame for a bike that can be modified for Everything, this would be the biggest winner. Yeah, right? that's not possible because frame has to be different for road for. Uh, okay, maybe my <laughs> maybe my metaphor <laughs> is not great, but uh, the, the the maybe machine which exactly. produces the exactly bikes. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, and for example, we are seeing something similar with uh, uh, GPT four and like with OpenAI, the the plugins that they bring uh, yeah. kind of allow you to do this kind of specialization on top of their generic AI, right? So, yeah, yeah. But right. yeah, who, who knows? Maybe there is something even better out there. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, can't wait to, to uh, go to KubeCon and talk to other people and um, yeah, gain get, more intuition about those tools and, and how we can leverage that in the Kubernetes or Cloud Native space. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all for listening. Um, as always, uh, we are open to feedback. Uh, we will put always. the Google form yes. in the show notes. Yeah, we are reading it. And thank you so far for um, all the responses. Um, we are reading them, we are evaluating them. So thank you so much. Lots of good ideas, keep it going. Thanks, see you next time. See ya.